0: CHAPTER Eight OF AMONG THE GREAT MASTERS OF THE DRAMA This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Wes Freeman AMONG THE GREAT MASTERS OF THE DRAMA BY WALTER ROLANDS Mrs. Siddons What Mrs. Siddons may have been when she had the advantages of youth and form, I cannot say but it appears to me that her performance at present leaves room to wish for nothing more. Washington Irving, 1805 She was tragedy personified. William Hazlitt Instead of gazing upon Mrs. Siddons as painted, in or out of character, by Gainsborough, Sir Thomas Lawrence, Harlow, or Beechey, and passing by even Sir Joshua's magnificent picture of her as the muse of tragedy, let us look at an unfamiliar, but interesting group of mrs siddons and her niece fanny kimball by briggs a royal academician who once enjoyed much repute as a portrait painter this picture is the property of the boston athenaeum to which institution it was given by fanny kimball herself many years ago the charming actress who died in eighteen ninety three an old lady of eighty three spent many years of her life in america having first appeared in the united states at the park theater in new york as bianca in eighteen thirty two she married a southerner mr pierce butler in eighteen thirty four but the union turned out unhappily and was put an end to by divorce at a later time she gained additional fame by her readings from shakespeare and her dramatic talent was supplemented by a poetic gift she not only produced verses of merit but two or three plays and wrote several delightful volumes of reminiscences filled with anecdotes of the numberless celebrities she had met. Many eminent Americans were her friends, Longfellow among them, and his fine sonnet, written in 1849, in admiration of her readings, may be quoted here. O precious evenings all too swiftly sped, leaving us heirs to amplest heritages of all the best thoughts of the greatest sages, and giving tongues unto the silent dead, How our hearts glowed and trembled as she read, Interpreting by tones the wondrous pages Of the great poet who foreruns the ages, Anticipating all that shall be said. O happy reader, having for thy text the magic book, Whose sibiline leaves have caught The rarest essence of all human thought. O happy poet, by no critic vexed, How must thy listening spirit now rejoice To be interpreted by such a voice. From Fanny Kimball's Records of a Girlhood are taken the following references to her famous aunt. When Fanny was a child, Mrs. Siddons, she says, at that time lived next door to us. She came in one day when I had committed some of my daily offenses against manners or morals, and I was led, nothing daunted, into her awful presence to be admonished by her. Melpomene took me upon her lap, and, bending upon me her controlling frown, discourse to me of my evil ways and those accents which curdled the blood of the poor shopman, of whom she demanded, if the printed calico she purchased of him, would wash. The tragic tones, pausing in the midst of the impressed and impressive silence of the assembled family, I tinkled forth, What beautiful eyes you have! All my small faculties having been absorbed in the steadfast upward gaze I fixed upon those magnificent orbs mrs siddons set me down with a smothered laugh and i trotted off apparently uninjured by my great aunt's solemn moral suasion this sprightly juvenile was but little older when her parents removed to covent garden chambers it was while she says we were living here that mrs siddons returned to the stage for one night and acted lady randolph for my father's benefit of course i heard much discourse about this to us important and exciting event, and used all my small powers of persuasion to be taken to see her. My father, who loved me very much, and spoiled me not a little, carried me early in the afternoon into the marketplace, and showed me the dense mass of people which filled the whole piazza, in patient expectation of admission to the still unopened doors. This was by way of proving to me how impossible it was to grant my request. However that might then appear, it was granted, for I was in the theatre at the beginning of the performance, but I can now remember nothing of it but the appearance of a solemn female figure in black and the tremendous roar of public greeting which welcomed her, and must, I suppose, have terrified my childish senses by the impression I still retain of it, and this is the only occasion on which I saw my aunt in public. On June eighth, 1831, Fanny Kimball, then twenty-one, and an accepted star. Having won immense success at her debut as Juliet at Covent Garden in 1829, thus records the death of Mrs. Siddons. While I was writing to H., my mother came in and told me that Mrs. Siddons was dead. I was not surprised. She has been ill and gradually failing for so long. I could not be much grieved for myself, for of course I had had but little intercourse with her though she was always very kind to me when I saw her. She died at eight o'clock this morning, peaceably and without suffering, and in full consciousness. I wonder if she has gone where Milton and Shakespeare are, to whose worship she was priestess all her life, whose thoughts were her familiar thoughts, whose words were her familiar words. At least three of Mrs. Siddons' great parts, Constance, Lady Macbeth, and Queen Catherine, were also acted by Fanny Kimball, Speaking of her aunt and herself and the last-named character, she wrote, My performance of Queen Catherine was not condemned as an absolute failure, only because the public in general didn't care about it, and the friends and well-wishers of the theatre were determined not to consider it one. But as I myself remember it, it deserved to be called nothing else. It was a schoolgirl's performance, tame, feeble, and ineffective, entirely wanting in the weight and dignity indispensable for the part, and must sorely have tried the patience and forbearance of such of my spectators as were fortunate and unfortunate enough to remember my aunt, one of whom, her enthusiastic admirer and my excellent friend, Mr. Harness, said that seeing me in that dress was like looking at Mrs. Siddons through the diminishing end of an opera glass. I should think my acting of the part, must have borne much the same proportion to hers. I was dressed for the trial scene in imitation of the famous picture by Harlow, and, of course, must have recalled, in the most provoking and absurd manner, the great actress whom I resembled so little and so much. In truth, I could hardly sustain the weight of velvet and ermine in which I was robed, and to which my small girlish figure was as little adapted as my dramatic powers were to the matronly dignity of the character. I cannot but think that, if I might have dressed the part as Queen Catherine really dressed herself, and been allowed to look as like as I could to the little, dark, hard-favoured woman Holbein painted, it would have been better than to challenge such a physical as well as dramatic comparison by the imitation of my aunt's costume in the part. Englishmen of her day will never believe that Catherine of Aragon, could have looked otherwise than Mrs. Siddons did in Shakespeare's play of Henry VIII. But nothing could in truth be more unlike the historical woman than the tall, large, bare-armed, white-necked, Juno-eyed, ermine-robed ideal of queenship of the English stage. The quintessence of religious, conscientious bigotry and royal Spanish pride is given both in the portraits of contemporary painters and in Shakespeare's delineation of her the splendid magnificence of my aunt's person and dress as delineated in harlow's picture has no affinity whatever to the real woman's figure or costume or character henry Perronet briggs born at walworth in seventeen ninety three was educated in the schools of the royal academy of which body he was elected an academician in eighteen thirty two he painted some historical works together with several scenes from shakespeare but his talent in portraiture became so much in demand that he devoted himself to that branch of art. His picture of Lord Eldon is said to be one of his best portraits. He died in London in eighteen forty four. End of chapter eight.